You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents The Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Republic City Report, Legend of Core podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys for joining me once again. Uh, before we get into all the meat of this episode, uh, I have to acknowledge the fact that there has been some weird issues going on with the podcast, as I'm sure you may have noticed. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when everyone is going to hear this one at this point. Uh, what's been going on is that there's been some type of an issue. My producer let me know about this um, to where one of the files that need to be present in order for the podcast to update to iTunes as well as Stitcher.com has just hasn't been there for some reason. Uh, and now he has to kind of redo some things. So that's why the podcasts are coming along later than normal uh, as of this moment. As I'm recording this episode, episode 37 of the podcast still isn't up on iTunes. Uh, however, if you have liked the Republic City Report Facebook page, as well as the Tim Bridgewater Entertainer page, uh, facebook.com slash Tim Bridgewater 2, then you would have seen that I actually posted a link to where you can go and download it uh, outside of iTunes. So finally, <laughs> there is a big plus to having like one or more of those pages. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to do that, you may want to go and like those pages now, because that way, if this happens again, uh, you can go there and, and download the link. Or otherwise, you'll just kind of have to wait until it shows up on iTunes, which at this point, I'm not sure when that's going to be. And that really sucks. But uh, so I know that uh, in terms of. There ha at this point, there hasn't been many of you that have heard episode 37, which was uh, which was for uh, the episode remembrances um, so that I didn't get many emails for this one. Right. Because no one has really heard the previous episode yet. Now, I did get one email. I did get some I did get some correspondence. Uh, so I will read that that I didn't get because some of those, you know, some of the listeners that uh, that liked the page were glad to see that link and they, you know, I assume they went on ahead and listened to it as soon as they got it. So if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head over to um, Facebook.com slash Republic City Report. Get that page a like uh, as well as Facebook.com slash Tim Bridgewater, too. That way you can keep up with me and the things that I have going on uh, once this podcast ends and beyond. And thank you to you guys who have done that so far. I appreciate it. Now, I want to take a moment to remind my listeners and let any new listeners know that uh, this is very much a listener feedback uh, correspondence sort of a podcast, which means every episode I, I read your emails uh, and address your theories, your thoughts, concerns. We talk about it. We discuss. Uh, if you want to send me your email correspondence, make sure you send me an email to republiccityreport at gmail.com. Now, with that being said, um, let's just go ahead and jump into this episode, right? We finally get back into the story here after kind of having a break for a week with the episode Remembrances. Once again, go back and listen to episode 37 of the podcast if you want to hear my thoughts on that. Uh, but now we actually get back into everything. And of course, this is uh, chapter nine, Beyond the Wilds. So uh, if you've been paying close attention to Legend of Korra so far, you should know immediately when it says the wilds, that means the spirit wilds, right? Um, it may even be some other type of a uh, <laughs> meaning there as well. I haven't really thought about that that much. I just assumed that it meant the spirit wilds. So we immediately know that we're going to have something involving that. And we do. So the episode basically just begins off with a character that we haven't seen in a while. You know, he was never a very important character. But if you remember, the character Ryu um, was one of the uh, new new airbenders that came along that Korra Team Avatar kind of went when they were going around trying to recruit all the new airbenders he was one that they came across in the Earth Kingdom and uh, 
he was not interested at all <laughs> in going. His mom was trying to trick him to get him out of the house. Uh, you know, it's very sort of uh, Napoleon Dynamite-like of uh, character, which I'm not positive on this, but I think someone may have mentioned that it's actually the actor who played Napoleon Dynamite doing the voice, uh, which if it is, that would make perfect sense. Uh, I don't know on that. I didn't, I didn't look it up. But, uh, you know, he's a funny guy. He's kind of this very, you know, very kind of soft-spoken and just kind of like, gosh, you know, that that type. Uh, so it's always funny when he shows up. And this, this whole little opening scene is actually kind of funny. But what it's doing is it's kind of is reminding us that he is a character. It's reminding us that the spirit wilds is something that exists. Okay, it, it reminds us what that is, where it came from. Uh, and once again, this is basically exposition. And there's that word again. That's something that I talked about pretty heavily for a few episodes of the podcast. They're kind of using exposition here through Ryu, a character that we haven't seen in a while. Uh, and his mom and this whole interaction to kind of remind us about the spirit wilds and what it is and how it was brought there. It was left over from the battle between Unavatu and, and Korra uh, and all these vines and everything are kind of all over the place. Um, but at the same time, it's also putting into place uh, basically what the plot of this entire episode is going to be is that these all of these characters are basically going to be taken by these spirit vines. And at the end, Korra is going to have to go and save them. So it accomplishes all those things in just a matter of a couple minutes, just at the very beginning, uh, while also providing some pretty good comic relief because even though it was kind of a scary situation in a way uh it was still pretty funny they still kind of kept the humor in there which was good so then we shift over to uh Korra who's playing sort of this little whack-a-mole sort of game with Naga where she's earthbending and I just love when they do those kinds of things right because it's just <laughs> just when you think you've seen every single possible thing you can do with bending you know, they find ways to include little things like that in there. And it, it's just a, it's just another it's just another thing that makes the environment and the world feel super authentic. Right. Because it also stands to reason that some people will just use bending for things like that. You know, it doesn't always have to be fighting. You know, they use it for sport now and use it to build things and can also use it for games. So, you know, I, I like that concept there. And it, it kind of shows that, you know, Naga and Korra getting to spend some more time together, which is great. Uh, so, but the moment is kind of interrupted because Opal shows up and she kind of, you know, she's down because once again, you know, her, her family has basically been taken by Kuvira. Uh, and she kind of, she kind she's kind of reminding us about what's going on with that. And Cora's kind of saying, you know, we'll do what we can. But then Janora shows up and Janora is basically sort of since this disturbance, in the spirit, you know, I, <laughs> I want to say the force, right? Because that's what it kind of sounds like when, you know, you know, she's, she's kind of very sensitive to the spirit world. So she, these kinds of things she can feel when something is kind of off. And basically what she felt was, well, the spirit vines attacked Ryu and, and all the tourists that were there. So Cora, Opal and Janora, they head over to that spot and they see that no one's there. Uh, and but of course, Cora has now developed this new ability to where she can kind of, you know, touch a spirit vine and kind of sense where it's been and things that have happened. You know, this new ability that she kind of picked up from, uh, you know, thanks. So somewhat thanks to Toph. Right. So she sees what we kind of got a little taste of in a previous episode is that uh, Kuvira and her or, you know, her earth empire forces are basically in the in the tree the, the jungle the forest there and kind of just chopping down uh spirit vines and everything to try to use toward this weapon trying to harness their power now what's strange about that is that we you know i was and i, and I still think it's going to happen but Toph hasn't surfaced yet right i was kind of expecting Toph to surface as a result of that but maybe when we switch back over to that and we see what's going on, then we'll we'll see her again, because uh, I certainly don't think we've seen the last of Toph. Now, meanwhile, you know, they kind of decide that, you know, OK, this is going on. We have to let uh, President Raiko know we have to let the world leaders know about this because Kuvira is posing somewhat of a more dangerous threat at this point you know it was bad enough when she just had one of these things and now she's basically just collecting a bunch of them which is obviously not going to lead to anything good for anyone else so they head back into um 
the main part of town and uh to her <laughs> surprise uh the world uh, council is actually meeting already uh and she's kind of surprised by that so you know in this moment which is pretty cool we get we get a leader of every nation there uh basically uh plus chief Bayfong because well uh she's the chief <laughs> of republic city and she should be in there on a meeting such as this but of course we get tenzin prince wu is there because well he's technically the the earth king though you know he has the the right to the throne so he counts uh president raiko and uh we also have the fire lord azumi right so finally we get her name we get to hear her talk we get to see what she looks like and it's very cool and it's basically she's basically what i expected uh you know she's very um she sounds like a queen i mean it, you know they didn't try to give her too much personality you know in terms of that she just kind of sounds like you know royalty and um i don't think we'll get to explore much more of her this this series because it's kind of late to really kind of introduce a character like that and try to you know um explain a lot and their backstory and all that kind of stuff i mean we, i think we know what we need to know about it and that is that's zuko's daughter uh it would be kind of nice to know who her mom is right i mean we could assume that um it's may but we don't well on second thought we may know now see i've talked about this before i, I actually read one or two of the graphic novels that came along after uh the last airbender ended but it was so long ago now like at least uh two years uh i think or maybe a year and a half that i don't remember what happened and plus i never finished because when i stopped reading whatever the following volume was still hadn't come out yet uh so i never finished so maybe in maybe through there they do kind of explain who zuko ended up with in the end or, or something like that but i'm not sure um but it'd be kind of nice if they just kind of refreshed our memory on that. But yeah, so Cora and Opal kind of walk in and they see this going on. And we kind of get this funny sort of exchange of <laughs> dialogue here between uh, her because she's so like um, surprised that Wu was invited, but not her. So that was that was pretty funny. Uh, and then we get this moment to where President Raiko is basically saying, you know, we can't just have people come barging into our meeting. So then what happens, right? Bolin and Varric show up. So they finally have made their way back to Republic City. So we kind of get a little brief reunion there. But what happens in this moment is uh, they kind of just get a really good idea of what's going on. Because Korra is there to tell them that Kuvira is cutting down the, the spirit vines. And then Varric shows up just in time to basically explain to them why she's cutting down the spirit vines that she's trying to make uh these weapons so now they they realize they have to take another step and the suggestions are coming in that well now that we know that this is going on we don't have a choice we have to attack kuvira and i think it may be president raiko who who sparks that idea but the other leaders aren't necessarily agreeing with him uh, especially Tenzin being that, you know, they we can all we can all agree. And this is something I've talked about before, is that Kuvira still hasn't really done anything. That That's what's so interesting about her character, that even now, this far into this this season, she's still not a clear cut villain. Right. And I don't mean that in the, in the usual way when I say that. I usually mean that they they're multi, they have multiple layers and they're just not a straight up bad guy. But what I mean by her is that it, she doesn't she still doesn't feel like the main antagonist of this of the season. I mean, she is, but she hasn't done anything bad enough, right? I mean, she's not really trying to kill anyone. She just it really seems like she's just trying to unite her kingdom in in her own way. Now, that's until we see what she plans to do with the spirit weapon, right? And then that'll probably solidify her 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 villainy. Uh, but they're kind of saying that, well, Kuvira hasn't really done anything yet, so we don't feel it's right to just kind of attack them at this point uh, because we know that our air nomads in the air nation are very peaceful and they're more of defense and they have to have a really good reason to go into something like that. They don't just like to attack people uh, when they really haven't done anything. And meanwhile, in a very interesting uh, perspective, here we get Fire Lord Azumi, who also says kind of the same thing. You know, she she explains and says, you know, the Fire Nation spent many, many years fighting wars that they shouldn't have fought and doing things that they shouldn't have done. 
you know it's probably taken who, who knows if the world has still has, has yet to truly recover from the reign of the fire nation so many years ago that from a political standpoint um she doesn't really want to get her 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 nation involved in something like that unless they have a really good reason to right because um and that's one thing that I, that I love about this show is that this kind of stuff comes back up again you know they just didn't they didn't forget that the fire nation basically tried to run the world for like a hundred years you know and, and and cause all kinds of oppression and, and and things like that so she wants to be extra careful before she jumps into something else and that's a very good perspective to to see it from uh, but she does agree to just kind of help them you know uh, tighten up some security and, 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 and do some other things that they're able to do. So, so I thought it was a, a very cool scene. And also kind of at the same time here, um, or immediately after, we still have Bolin trying to work on this relationship with Opal. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very interesting to see this relationship between them because, well, it's been three years. Uh, and I'm not saying that you have to get married after three years or anything, but I'm just saying that it's, it's just a little their relationship seems a little bit weird and e even before all of this stuff with him uh kind of siding with kuvira it still seemed a little bit weird too but uh he's basically trying to trying to fight for you know trying to win her back and we actually we we get another moment here that i really appreciated between uh len and opal you know just kind of reminding us that that is her niece right that that opal and and, and len are family uh, and that's something that you can just kind of forget because they haven't really interacted much since the last book. But we get this moment here of where they kind of bond and they're saying that, you know, uh, we can't rely on the other nations to get involved in this because it's not their business. Really, it's not their family. And she's saying that it's our family. So, you know, if we we have we have to do this on our own, we have to go in and rescue Sue and um, and and the, the rest of the family. So I, I kind of like that. And and I love Lynn Bayfong. I just love her. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's so stubborn and hard headed and brash and everything. She's a lot like Toph, but less uh, funny, if that makes any sense. Uh, there's less humor about her personality. She just she just really got the tough side of things. But I like that. And and one thing I love about Lynn Bayfong is she to me, she's one of the most visually striking characters that they've created. Right. You just look at her and she's got this very cool, unique hairstyle. She's got these green eyes, this scar on her face and then her her uniform to her, her armor that she wears. Like, I just love her design. <laughs> and then the voice actor, too, is just phenomenal. I just I just love Lin Bay Fong. I mean, I love everyone, but she's just one of my favorites just because uh, I, I just feel like they haven't done anything wrong with her. I mean, she's been consistent from the beginning. Uh, and then but she's also had her moments where she kind of we kind of peeled back a couple layers. Right. And we got that last season with her and Sue and everything like that, um, which was cool. But, it's, you know, it's kind of nice to see her back in Chief Bayfong mode. And, you know, just kind of going on with the sentimental family ties and everything like that. You know, meanwhile, Bolin and Mako and Cora just kind of catching up and talking and and things like that and they're kind of going back and forth about how they kind of feel like they failed each other and but everybody's just kind of like realizing that you know what we all did the best we could and now it's time for us to come back together and just kind of do what we need to do to make things right and uh it's a very tender tender moment there uh meanwhile um janora has uh went to you know the spirit wilds to uh well she's still there she never left right yeah so she's still there kind of looking around, trying to see what's up with uh, what happened to Ryu and everyone else. And she gets attacked by a spirit vine. Um, so uh, I can't help but wonder where where Kai is right now. I mean, it's just he just kind of vanished. Right. I mean, we, we've seen we've seen Opal, Ryu and Janora this episode. It just kind of seems like he would have been involved in there to some extent, you know, especially after Janora was taken. But I mean, not that there was a lot of time that have, has went by. Maybe he didn't even know. But I just can't help but wonder at this point when they're going to reintroduce Kai uh, and under what circumstances. Is he just kind of going to kind of show back up one episode or 
you know, because we're, we're getting close to the end here. And, you know, one of the things that you have to kind of do when you come to the end of your series is you kind of have to wrap everything up and give everyone closure. Uh, so that kind of means every every active character that they have going, including Kai. Uh, so hopefully we get to see him again soon. Uh, but Janora basically gets taken to by the spirits at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, not to forget that she has her astral projection abilities, right? So she kind of sends her spirit out uh, to alert Korra that she's being taken by the spirit wilds. And then they decide that they have to go in there to try to get her back. Um, so then her, she, then she and Mako go in there. Uh, and they get attacked, but they, they end up in this area to where they, they find sort of this collection of uh, like this cocoon of, of all the bodies of the people that were taken by the spirits, right? So they drag them in there and kind of put them in these bubbles. Uh, and somehow, you know, they, w without any, without getting too deep into any sort of explanation, we just kind of assume that they know that she knows what's going on because she says, well, uh, their <laughs> their spirits are trapped in the spirit world. I mean, you know, it's one of those things to where, like, we kind of have to just accept that that is what we have to accept that she knows that because she's the avatar. Right. Because it, I, th I find it kind of strange how she just kind of jumped to that conclusion. But like I said, you know, she's the avatar. Maybe th these things she could just feel. You know, she actually tries to attempt to free them, uh, kind of using her spirit water bending uh, thing that she learned from Unalak, I think. Uh, but that doesn't work. So then she realizes, hey, maybe I need to actually try to go into the spirit world and get their spirits. And this is where the problem comes in at, okay? Because this is where, you know, every time she tries to really focus and really get into something, um, that those memories of Zahir resurface and that exactly that's exactly what happens here she kind of transports back to that area uh where they were when they were fighting in the mountains uh and, and, and instead of it just being a flashback this time she's kind of in it uh which i thought was which was was cool right because she's it stands to reason that you know in a meditative state uh that that flashback would probably resurface in a different way um, so she can't get in there because Zaheer is still sort of blocking her now. And here's where we get to what is the most interesting and, and the best uh, aspect of this episode. And that is she decides that she needs to go see Zaheer. Now, I'm not I don't remember exactly, but I think I may have sort of predicted that <laughs> in some previous episode because I just knew things were not over with him you know I, I knew that in order for her to truly get past him she would have to confront him again and that's exactly what what's going to happen here um, but she kind of talks to you know Tenzin about it because she has to find out first of all where he is because she doesn't know um, and we kind of get this moment you know where she kind of has to explain that you know this is what she needs to do and she feels like this is the best way and it's just a very cool moment we find out that Zaheer is basically just kind of being kept uh somewhere which was later going to be a place that's kind of uh a place that is uh being guarded by the uh, white lotus now meanwhile um which is interesting that they keep coming back to this which you know it could just be for uh comedic relief or it could just be for some sort of romantic relief but they they they, they went back again to bolin and opal's thing again <laughs> to where uh he sent pabu uh to opal with a letter that basically said both of his legs were broken or something like that in order to trick her and get her to come and show up to this picnic that he's having um which you know it doesn't it well what this does what what and i just thought about this they're, they're putting the pieces in place for the end of the episode, right? For what happens at the end, which I'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, basically what we see him doing here is he's trying to win her back. So they're setting it up so that uh, there will be an opportunity for him to become a part of what happens at the end of the episode. But because at this point, you know, Opal's basically turning him down. You know, she's saying, I can't get past what you've done. I mean, you were pretty much responsible in some ways for my entire family being imprisoned. And we can't really blame her for that. Right. <laughs> I mean, we love Bolin, but we can't really blame her for that. Um, so, yeah, the pieces are basically just kind of being put in place for that. 
Now, uh, meanwhile, we do get a l brief little scene here, uh, which is, is getting our other characters involved here. Uh, you know, we have a, a, you know, a moment between President Raiko, who is talking to Varric and Asami at the same time. It, it's kind of funny because they're letting, they're letting, both Asami and Raiko are letting Varric know that they haven't forgotten what he's done. And the writers are also letting us know that uh, they're reminding us of what he's done, too, at the same time. Right. But, you know, Varric, Varric, like I said, Varric's never been a clear-cut bad guy. He's just kind of like, you know, he's just kind of been out for himself. And whatever that ended up being, whether it be on the bad side or the good side, didn't matter to him, you know. But uh, what I like about this scene is that, you know, President Reichel basically says, you know, with all of this going on in terms of technology and uh, Kuvira building these spirit weapons, we need the two brightest minds of Republic City uh, together working on this. Um, so that's pretty cool. So we get to see some cool stuff. They're going to be involved in this as well. And something else that I mentioned before, don't be surprised if Hiroshi Sato is, is pulled back into this too. You know, otherwise there would have been no reason for them to bring him back into the picture. You know, I always felt that, you know, the, the writers were setting out to accomplish several things by having Asami reconnect with him. And I think one of those things will be that he will somehow play a part and this whole thing in the end is for stopping Kovira. Uh, meanwhile, so we've got uh, Mako and Korra. They've basically gone to this prison to where Zaheer is being held. And they go in there and, you know, Korra basically says, you know, I have to do this alone and, 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 and so forth. And I have to say that it was very good seeing Zaheer again. Uh, I've mentioned this before, you know. Even though, even though we've seen him several times this season in flashbacks, because he's been like just literally a nightmare for Korra, he's still my favorite bad guy. <laughs> he's my, he, he is my favorite villain of the entire series um, for many different reasons. And if you want to know those, well, you can go back and listen to, you know, book three. Uh, but it's cool because, you know, he, he's been in this place for three years and his hair has grown out, his beard has grown out. But he's sitting, he's basically f just floating in the air. You know, he's chained, but he's floating in the air so he can still fly and everything like that. Uh, but, you know, this is one of the most amazing scenes in the entire series, because here we have Korra standing face to face physically with literally her nightmares, you know, and like her her worst enemy at this point. And he, uh, with all the faults as I hear may have had in terms of being, uh, you know, very once having this one sided view and this skewed perception of life and what would what was necessary to, to bring balance. Uh, he was always very wise. Right. I mean, I don't think anyone has ever questioned his wisdom. And that was one of the things that made him such a, a force to be reckoned with, you know, in addition to just being a really good fighter. He's still very wise. And that's what we get from him in this scene. And he's basically, you know, in his own way, he's proving a point and everything that he says makes sense here. You know, you know, she Cor was saying how she's not scared of him anymore and all that. And then he charges at her and he, he proves right then and there. OK, you're still not over this the way you 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 thought you were. And he she doesn't even have to tell him exactly why she's there. He knows it's like you're having trouble. You haven't been to the spirit world because he spends a lot of time there. And this is something that we learned about Zaheer in the previous book. Uh, is that he he's tied more to the spirit world than Korra is. Um, so he can tell that she hasn't been there in a while. Um, and he, you know, basically, you know, provides a solution and a suggestion is that, you know, you have to let me take you there uh, or guide you there. And this is, uh, well, before that, she she kind of, you you see him kind of open up a little bit here because, his intentions, you you know, were not necessarily to uh, bring, basically give birth to a dictator is what he did. You know, by taking out the Earth Queen, he brought Kuvira in and now things are kind of worse than ever in a way. And that is kind of what the, he is against that. The whole point of, of he and the Red Lotus was that they thought that uh, having a ruler or a queen or a monarchy or any person of a, in a position of authority was a bad thing so right now he can't you know agree with what Kuvira's doing either so he's basically saying that you know we may have been enemies in the past but right now we share a common interest and let me lead you into the spirit world 
So Cora realizes that she doesn't have much of another, uh, uh, much more of a choice. So uh, she she agrees to do that. Um, now immediately when she tries to go in there, though, she she starts to have the flashbacks again of where you know she's fighting Zahir and she's you know he's suffocating her. But me, but this time the actual Zahir is there himself to kind of talk her through it and say you know just see it through to the end. You know, just let it play out. This is the only way you have to accept what happened to you uh, in order to move past this. And it works. It works. And she she immediately ends up in the spirit world. Um, you know, so what she realizes in this moment is that, you know, she was kind of standing in her own way by being so afraid of of Zahir and the things that happened to her that she wasn't allowing herself to kind of just get over it and be open to the possibility and, and, and all these kinds of things. I mean, it, it kind of ties into actual, uh, you, know, you know, actual therapy in real life. You know, I was I used to be a psychology major and, you know, there are all these things that you have to do in terms of getting past these traumatic events in terms of acceptance. Uh, and that is something that that was uh, important for Cora to move on and thanks as I hear she got that help now what I don't understand in this in this moment and, and, and this is an opportunity for you guys to send me an email uh, send me an email or publiccityreport at gmail.com if you have a theory on this or if you can help me remember here is that in this moment she reconnects with Rava right because she makes this this uh, comment about Rava uh, it's nice to see you again uh, but Rava's been there the whole time because Rava actually says that I've been here with you the whole time so I'm guessing that means that Rava was sort of dormant throughout this period. But how dormant could she have been because Korra was still able to uh, go into the Avatar state, right? I mean, I know she just recently been, you know, she just recently got the ability to go back into the Avatar state when she got the rest of that poison on everybody. But at that point is when she reconnected with Rava, I thought. Um, so it's a little bit confusing, you know. Once again, I've mentioned this before. Book two was my least favorite book, even though I love it. It's still my least favorite out of the four. And a lot of it had to do with all this stuff with Rava and Vatu. A lot of that stuff was really cool, but a lot of it was really confusing. It started to become confusing as to, okay, how exactly these spirits work and how they connect and her past lives. And it just became kind of convoluted. Because there was just so much stuff going on in that book with harmonic convergence and then the and then the original Avatar one. And it just this was kind of a lot of stuff to uh, digest with the spirit portals and Unala. I mean, you see what I'm saying? There was just a lot there. So because of that, a lot of that stuff didn't stick with me as it would have as some of the other things. So that's just something that I kind of noticed in this moment. Um, but because of this reconnection to Rava. Uh, she can immediately kind of just sense where the spirits are of all of these people who were taken by the spirit vines. So she can kind of just kind of go directly there. And, uh, and and she sees them all and she's able to free them all in this very beautiful uh, sort of sequence where we see the spirits kind of in this bubble. And she uh, <clears throat> she's able to let them go just by kind of focusing and concentrating on it. And then the bubble kind of disintegrates and we see all these spirits floating in the air and we get that wonderful, wonderful uh, legend of core music there that will just make you tear up <laughs> incredibly easily if you're not careful. Um, but then we shift back over to the physical world and we get to see that, OK, what she did worked. All of these people are now waking up. Um, Janora gets a, a reunion with her father. Everyone's everyone is OK. Um, so at this point, well, Cora and Mako leave. They uh, they leave the prison. And uh, so that that's kind of a close chapter for now. But once again, as I was mentioning earlier, we shift back over to Bolin and Opal. And this is kind of what they were doing. The whole episode is kind of setting up this scene where Bolin tries one more time to get Opal back. And he kind of expresses his love for her. He says, I love you. And she says, thanks for saying all that. And he's just saying that no matter what I have to do, I'm going to keep trying to win you back. So she basically says, uh, there's one thing you can do to win me back. And meanwhile, Chief Fong is sitting on the back of a, of a bison. And uh, she says, we're going to secretly go and try to free my family. 
and you can come along and help us. So it seems like we're going to have this, you know, this three, this three man sort of uh, seal six uh, <laughs> earth bending team that's going to kind of try to go in there and infiltrate Kuvira's camp and maybe try to get him back. Now, uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to hear Bolin respond, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's going to go for this. Um, but is it a good idea? Probably not, right? Because we've shown, I mean, they've already attempted that. I mean, Sue attempted that with her her two sons, and it didn't work. Now, granted, you know, this time we've got Lin Beifong and Opal and Bolin, uh, different people, but I have a feeling it's going to turn out similarly, and this is going to give Korra maybe even more reason to go, and they may actually have to go in and initiate some kind of battle. Or uh, they'll all get captured too, right? Um, and maybe that'll be what brings Toph out of hiding. You know, maybe she'll say, well, this woman has both my daughters and my grandkids. <laughs> you know, maybe that'd be enough reason for her to resurface. And then she'll team up with, with Korra and Tenzin and, and whoever else. And they'll go back in there. Um, and once again, I keep bringing I keep bringing it up, even though I'm starting to lose faith that it's going to happen again. But remember, Commander Iroh, right, which is uh, Fire Lord Azumi's son. Um, remember, they introduced him in book two and they just haven't brought him back since. Um, maybe through this. Right. Because now that the Fire Nations get involved with this thing. Um, maybe he'll resurface too. I mean, it's not, you know, I keep bringing it up. I mean, it doesn't, I don't want to make it sound like I just missed that character so much because he didn't really contribute to a lot of the storyline. I just think it's weird when you introduce a character and you just kind of leave them, you know? So that's why I still feel like maybe he'll come back to some extent, but who knows? But anyway, um, that about does it for all the episode talk. If there's anything you want to say about that, any questions, concerns, or comments, make sure you send me your email correspondence to republiccityreport at gmail.com. And at this point, I'm going to go ahead and switch over to the correspondence for this episode. Uh, once again, I don't have much here because, well, not many of you guys at this point have heard the previous episode because of the uh, delays on iTunes and such. But I will read what I have, and that is... Um, I have two emails here from Vid. Vid, thank you, as always, for uh, emailing me. And I'm going to start off here with the first one. Hello, Tim. Thank you for yet another thoughtful, informative, considerate episode of Republic City Report. Also, when it was delayed on the iTunes feed, thank you for making the episode available in another way. So Vid is obviously one of those listeners who liked the page and... He, because of that, he was able to get the episode. So the rest of you <laughs> get over there and like that page or even better, like the Tim Bridgewater 2 page, because, uh, you know, the Public City Report page is going to be inactive once this podcast is is over, uh, you know, unless something else comes along, unless I decide to continue, etc. So do that. OK, on with Vid's email. You had mentioned your hesitation about pronouncing the last name of the Legend of Core co-creator Brian K. As it happens, he and Mike were interviewed recently, and during the interview, Brian happened to pronounce his last name himself. I thought you might like to know that. Here is a link to the YouTube video on which the interview appears. If you want to skip to that part, you can start about nine minutes in and listen to the 9.15 point. Um, I first learned of the interview from Brian's Tumblr page and his entry dated November 24th, 2014. I hope that helps. Vid, that actually did help, and I did actually watch the video, and uh, his last name is pronounced... Konitsko, um, of which I honestly would have assumed that that was the pronunciation, but I'm just one of those kind of people who that, you know, I just don't like to risk it uh, if I'm not sure about it, right? Uh, I did the exact same thing with your name in the beginning, I believe, uh, but just because, well, you know, if it were me, I wouldn't want people mispronouncing my name. Um, but yeah, so I did do that. So anyone out there who was wondering about Brian, the pronunciation of Brian's last name, there you have it. And OK, I'm going to move on. I've got one more email here from Vid and then that'll be all uh, I'm going to kind of this one's this one's a little lengthy. So I'm going to kind of break this one apart a little bit. It says, hello, Tim. After the clips episode, I was delighted to watch Chapter nine Beyond the Wilds. I look forward to your review of its details and your comments. In Chapter nine, I found the balance of humor and drama especially satisfying. Here are some of my comments. I look forward to learning whether any of these make sense to you. I enjoyed the humor, including the return of Ryu and his parents and his reliance on cue cards. 
I liked Cora's use again of her ability to sense things at a distance by touching the spirit vines. I enjoyed the opportunity, finally, to see the current Fire Lord Azumi. I liked the humor involved in Prince Wu's suggestions for dealing with Kuvira. I laughed when Bolin and Varric barged into the meeting in Republic City. I liked the dramatic sharing of information with the world leaders about Kuvira's development of a spirit vine weapon. I liked the drama involved in the hesitation of the world leaders to take aggressive action and the tension on this issue between Lin and Tenzin. Varric's uneasy alliance with Asami, based on their related skills and common enemy, was at once funny, dramatic, and logical. I liked Asami's demonstration of her martial arts skill. Uh, parentheses, she's not a bender, but don't mess with her. I found it heartfelt, fun, and touching. Bolin's efforts to ask for forgiveness for his prior support of Kuvira and his efforts to make amends with Mako and Korra. Um, also, I love the wise ways in which Mako and Korra warmly affirmed Bolin's sincerity. So yeah, so in that paragraph, it was basically just kind of commenting on the things that he liked, and these are in, throughout the episode, and uh, just go back and listen to my uh, review that I just did uh, to hear my thoughts on that. But I, I, I agree with all that vid, uh, especially in the beginning, um, the whole thing with Ryu, you know, that was there for comic relief and he was kind of using cue cards. And, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of just ties it back into the real world a little bit when you have those kinds of moments. Because at times it can feel like, wow, this world they live in with all these benders and the vines and the spirits and everything. And every now and then they do something like that. Just kind of just remind you that these are all people. You know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I like that a lot. Um, your next paragraph. Right now, I have a gentle difference of opinion to express. Although a few episodes back, I enjoyed your suggestion that Prince Wu might evolve enough by season's end to end up as Korra's love interest. I've never thought that there was enough time both for him to seriously change and for her to fall for him. To me, it seems that those combined changes will require years. Even so, I do imagine that in the time that remains this season, Prince Wu could have the potential to change, at least in some ways. Uh, I agree with that. No, I agree. Yeah. And uh, and when I suggested that, I don't I'm not sure if I actually thought it was going to happen. Uh, I, I guess I must have. I probably just thought it would be interesting to, to see. Right. Because you I mean, because this is just something that ha just happens a lot in movies and, and, and shows and just, uh, you know, cinema in general, right, is that you'll have a character, you have these two characters usually of opposite sex who just don't get along at all and then they fall in love, right? That's just some, it's, it's one of those tropes that we've seen plenty of times and that would be the only reason why I would, I would have suggested that that could possibly happen is because I'm so used to seeing those kinds of tropes. I mean, it, it happened with Mako and Korra, didn't it? In the beginning, they kind of didn't. I mean, they they weren't. It wasn't like Wu and Korra, but you know, Mako was very kind of had this hard edge to him, and he just wasn't really that interested in her. But she fell for him, and yada yada yada. But they still ended up getting together in the end because it's one of those tropes that happens. And meanwhile, Bolin was crazy about Korra, but she didn't want him. She wanted the guy who wasn't interested in her. Right? And it's one of those things. It's just a, you know, it's something that we see in story writing storytelling a lot so that's why i made that suggestion but as for whether or not i think it's going to happen not really especially not at this point because you're right i mean i think at this point they would have already had to have started that process because we don't have that many episodes left in the series so it would have had to already have started in some sense uh, but right now we're not even get we're not even getting hints of it we're not even getting these moments to where maybe woo uh, is being super annoying, but then he does something like super sweet and then it stands out to Korra or something to kind of foreshadow that we haven't gotten any of that. So it probably won't happen. But, you know, I think I also agree when you say it's going to change in some way. I, I agree with that. I think in the end, he's going to end up, uh, you know, showing he's going to end up contributing somehow and may and maybe this very sort of accidental sort of a way. But I think he's going to contribute uh, somehow in the end, um, because otherwise, why introduce him? Right. I mean, they didn't, they didn't necessarily have to, um, uh, bring him into the, the story. Right. Because it's so far, his character isn't necessary. Right. I mean, everything would have still worked out even if he didn't exist. Like, even if they just said, okay, Kuvira came along and just decided to take power herself. 
It didn't even need to for Wu to be there necessarily. So I think he's still going to play some kind of a bigger role in this thing in the end. Uh, but we will see. Back to your email. I was surprised and delighted that Cora resolved to face Zaheer. I like that she stood up to Tenzin when he first objected to that idea. I was impressed that she and Zaheer forged a temporary alliance and once Zaheer mentor, mentored Cora, helped her to mediate, med- meditate, sorry, <laughs> meditate, and to find her way back to the spirit world. What did you think of that? Um, yeah, I kind of went over that in the, in the, in the initial review, but uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, that is another trope in, in, in some in some ways, but it's not it's not as common. But, you know, you do see these situations in, in, in storytelling sometimes to where uh, someone has to 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 revisit a previous enemy adversary because they're the one, the only one who can really help them with something. And that's what happens here. Uh, but it's even more powerful in this instance because the night of the nightmares that she was having and the flashbacks and all that. Uh, and not only that, I mean, it's just it's extra cool because with Zahir being such an awesome villain, you know, it's good for us to see once again him, you know. So uh, I think it'd be cool if he, bro- he broke out of there and like joined the fight. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen because, well, you know, I don't think he's changed at all. I just think he just did what he needed to do in this moment uh, that he felt was right. But I think if he broke out of there or something, he would still try to kill Cora. So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, not that you suggested that. That's just me saying that. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I liked it. I, I like that whole sequence. Uh, back to your email. I think Zaheer is a grand character. Yes, he's a villain, but he's not a one-sided one. He has many facets. And he has enough depth to offer Cora help in, in, in an area in which she struggles. Even though imprisoned, not only can he still levitate, he can leave his body and visit the spirit world. Similarly, Korra, though she is the avatar and supposedly the most powerful character, nevertheless is vulnerable, including because so much time has passed since she could visit the spirit world. I'm impressed and moved by her courage in facing Zaheer and by her wisdom and being willing to learn from him. I love this about the show. Whether heroes or villains, individual characters have so many different dimensions and can learn, grow, and change. Would you agree? Oh, I would totally agree with that, and and that's one of the things I was saying is that, uh, you know, it's just it's just it's just amazing in that moment that they were, we were able to see these parallels between them, and and, uh, and Zahir even makes a couple comments himself. You know, he's saying that, uh, you know, Cora's saying that she's not what she used to be, and thanks to him, she's different now, and he's saying that well, we're all different now, we've all changed. You know, she's saying that. You know, he he said that. Uh, he learned how to fly, but now he's chained to the ground. I mean, that you know, just think about the dynamics between that, right? You know, being able to fly and being chained, those are like opposites. And then with Korra, he, he says that, um, you know, she has all the power in the world and the freedom to use it, but she still, like, chooses to, to, to hold herself back. Uh, and that's and that's basically just through her fear. You know, she's afraid to kind of face what happened to her and own up to it and accept it and move on. Um, so we we certainly get these these dynamics at play and these really kind of sort of obvious uh, differences in, in that situation. Uh, let's see. What else did you mention here? Oh, well, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely not. Zahir has never been one sided. Uh, none of the villains have been one-sided. One things I've always—that's one of the things I've always loved about this. Uh, but Zaheer's just my favorite, just for just a, a bunch of different reasons. Um, but I, yeah, this this scene is just is fantastic. Um, it's easily—it's one of the highlights of the series so far for me. Uh, so let's see. The rest of your email says um, I also like the humor involved in Bolin's efforts to win back the heart of Opal. And the drama involved in his willingness to join Opal and Lin as they depart on a risky mission to rescue their family members who remain imprisoned by Kuvira. Right. Yeah. And I kind of talked about that. Um, yeah. And, and they, you know, they were kind of just slowly setting that up throughout the episode so that at the end uh, she can provide this sort of ultimatum, sort of a situation for him. And then uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's going to go for it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. It's a little strange because he just left there, <laughs> right? Uh, but it seems like he's going to be heading back. And, uh, you know, they can use a strong lava bender on their side now. You know, they didn't have that the first time they went in there. So that may be enough to shift things. 
Your next paragraph reads, In both Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, I've especially enjoyed the heartfelt care and concern that so many of the characters display for each other. Some examples include Katara and Sokka as siblings, Aang and Katara as friends and potential love interests, Iroh and Zuka as uncle and nephew, Mako and Bolin as brothers, Team Avatar Korra as friends and allies, even Noah Tak and Tarlock as brothers, Korra and Asami as friends, Tenzin, Pema, and their children. I could go on and on. Bonds of family, friendship, mentoring, and learning come across to me with such welcome authenticity. In my opinion, the makers of the show care about the characters and even about the characters care for each other. I'm convinced that this helps me to care about these characters. Is your experience similar? Oh, totally. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, that this show, you know, both these shows, uh, Last Airbender as well as The Legend of Korra. Uh, the, the best thing about these shows have always been the characters to me. Always the characters and their relationships. And then in addition to that, you've got this really amazing animation and fight choreography and then in addition to that you've got this great music i mean it's just it, it has it literally covers like every single level of, of of things i like to enjoy when it comes to uh being entertained by something uh but yeah first and foremost it's about characters and and and, and even though some of the characters in Korra haven't gotten i mean i still i still feel like mako is one of the least developed characters on the show and you know and and that's something that um it's very strange considering this is book four, right? Uh, we've learned a lot about him, but we, we haven't spent, we just haven't spent as much time with Mako as we have with Bolin. You know, Bolin usually has these whole other side stories that are going on and Mako's just kind of showing up when it's necessary, you know, um, which is fine. But, you know, I, I feel like, the, I feel like the last Airbender did a much better job of spending, uh, you know, time with their with each character and developing them. But of course, they had a lot more episodes uh, in order to do that in. Um, but they've done what they can, and yes, all those relationships that you that you mentioned were all great relationships. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny because I never really thought about it that way. You know, um, one of my favorite aspects of that show was Iroh and Zuko's relationship. You know, um, and I feel like all those relationships that you mentioned there were actually stronger than um, well, not stronger, but we've seen more of the dynamics of the relationship, uh, probably the least out of Mako and Bolin. Once again, you know, we, we get these scenes where Mako and Bolin are kind of talking, but I, I don't know. I don't know. if I don't I don't I don't necessarily I'm not as invested in their relationship as brothers as I am these other uh, relationships that you mentioned once again Katara and Sokka, Aang and Katara Iroh and Zuko um, Korra and Asami even, even though that's more one of the newer ones, uh, Tenzin and his family um, uh, and with Noatak and Tarlock even though it was, you know, they were kids when they had their relationship, they still spent a, you know, an episode explaining their backstory and everything like that so at least there was some kind of dynamic there and i just i don't feel it as much with mako and bolin i'm kind of sad to say that but i don't and i just you know i don't know what it is but it, part of the problem is i think mako's kind of under development and they don't spend as much time being doing brotherly things I, I don't know what it is i mean because well with the exception of like this book they were always together so i don't know why exactly i feel that way but i just i don't I'm not as invested in their relationship as I am in, in the others. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Um, on to your next paragraph. I was also impressed that as a result of her journey to spirit world, Korra reestablished her clear connection with Rava. Korra's journey has involved a long uphill climb, but in my opinion, she is incrementally, incrementally becoming not just stronger, but wiser and more whole. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a matter of her kind of becoming... Uh, like you said, uh, becoming more whole and, and, and whether that means physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it's all kind of coming together because this has been a very emotional book so far. And so we've got that covered and then we've got the mental thing covered um, because she's kind of been fighting herself. Right. She's been fighting herself. And that's if that's not a mental issue. Then I don't know what it is. And then we've got the physical in terms of her having to get the metal out of her body. Um so totally, I think it's just a combination of all those things coming together to rebuild the best, the, you know, this newer version of the Avatar, the Avatar she's always kind of meant to be. 
uh, and she's getting these bits and pieces from from different characters that are kind of teaching her things, and she's learning more things about herself. I mean, you know, she learned something from Toph. She's learned something from Zahir. Um, I'm probably leaving someone else out now, but before this is over, she's going to learn something from someone else who's going to help her. So all these pieces are coming together, rebuilding her, and she's going to be uh, a much better avatar than she's ever been by the, the time this thing is over. So for your final paragraph, it says here, changing subjects, regardless of whether after the Legend of Korra concludes, you choose in some form to continue Republic City Report, I'm paying attention to your activities. I've enjoyed what I've seen and heard so far of your acting and of your other podcast appearances. I wish you well, not only with Republic City Report, but also with your acting, screenwriting and whole life. I love creativity whenever I can find it. I encourage it in my daughter. I develop it in myself. And I take inspiration from it when I discover it in others. So thank you for setting such a creative example and best of luck with everything. Sincerely, Vid. Vid, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, <laughs> I have noticed, Vid, you know, a couple uh, likes and, and, and a few comments and things from you on just various things. And I, I, I can't tell you how much that means to me <laughs> because you know as as a creative person that i like to think of myself as i mean there's nothing there's no greater feeling than having people appreciate that creativity and um as i mentioned before on here guys you know i do a couple things uh i have a youtube channel with a bunch of different things on it i mean if you want to tim dog 326 t-i-m-d-o-g 326 i mean i play drums i do vocal vocal and drum covers i have a few of those on there i have a ton of movie reviews uh, I just have these one-off little sketch-type things that I'll make every now and then. Um, that rip, that uh, Legend of Korra rap song that I made for episode 25 of the podcast, the music video that I made for that is on there. There's, there's plenty of stuff you can find over there. If you go, all I ask is that you go ahead and subscribe while you're there, right? Subscribe, like a couple videos, leave a couple comments. Um, because, you know, once again, I don't get paid for any of these things that I do uh, for the most part. Um, so I, you know, if you can just give me the positive feedback and share the video, you know, subscribe, all that kind of stuff, then that would mean a lot to me. Um, once again, one of the easiest things you can do is head over to Tim Bridgewater two, uh, facebook.com slash Tim Bridgewater two. I'm going to start posting on there more often, the more of you guys that go over and like that page. So if you want to keep up with the other things that I'm, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, including my acting and all that kind of stuff. I can post all, I can send you all kinds of links to things, but you have to like that page. So um, thanks again, Vid, for the email. I very much appreciate it. Uh, hopefully it would not take forever before this podcast, this episode uh, <laughs> pops up on iTunes. Um, so guys, just bear with me while, while that happens. Uh, we've still got a few more episodes left before the series is over. So I want to thank you guys for sticking with me this whole time. Uh, feel free to also, once again, uh, take a couple minutes to leave me a review on iTunes if you're still listening. I mean, if you're, if you're still hanging on here, there must be something you like about the show. So please don't hesitate to go on iTunes and, and let the world know that you're enjoying what, what's going on here. Um, you can also head over to awesomepods.com. Check out our other podcasts. Uh, Vid mentioned the other podcast that I do is called Geekly Dose. Uh, Geekly Dose hasn't been updated in a while. Uh, because it's just very hard. It's just, it, it, I, so if I have any listeners here that listen to Geek Littles as well and are wondering what's taking so long, that, it's just very hard to record that one because there's there's three of us. There's three schedules to consider. There's me, my co-host, and the producer. We all do it together in the studio. Uh, and it's just hard to organize schedules and everything. And, and, and to be completely honest with you, uh, unlike Republic City Report, I'm, I'm not sure that I have, that we have a ton of listeners over there. Uh, we never get emails. <laughs> uh, I mean, we rarely get emails, I should say. And, and this and this is kind of what I, you know, what I was talking about in terms of feedback. And you know, when you're enjoying something, and this is something that I'm trying to make more of an effort to do myself as well, is that if someone is creating something and I enjoy it, I, I, I'm starting to let them know about it. Even if it means, even if it means just clicking thumbs up on YouTube, if it means leaving a comment, if it means liking a page. Uh, because for some people, that's all they have to go by in terms of whether or not uh, what they're doing is being appreciated or liked or, you know, that, that they're just not doing it for nothing or, or that people listening. And with Geekly Dose, I know we have listeners there, but we the feedback is very rare. Right. And, and, and it doesn't it doesn't motivate you to want to do it. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with me on that you know like if you're not getting any sort of a response for the most part 
then you're kind of going to give up and just say, well, you know, I'll just move on to the next project. And, you know, I have a feeling that that's about to happen with Geekly Those again soon uh, because we haven't even really talked about recording since the last episode. And we usually would have talked about it by now. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, there really is. I mean, just all the news about, you know, new Suicide Squad was just announced the cast for that. Uh, Wonder Woman has a director now. Uh, the new Star Wars trailer is out. I mean, there are all kinds of things that I would love to go on there and talk about, but we we need to know that people are listening and that you want to hear it, right? And that's just kind of the moral of the story here, even when it comes to me doing anything else core-related, is that you have to speak up and you have to let us know. Uh, because, you know, like I said, there's no advertising or anything here. Uh, I tried, I did do the advertising thing for the last, for book two, of the podcast, but it didn't really help anything. And it didn't, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to have to put ads in the thing if it wasn't necessary. Right. So it becomes a little harder to track exactly what's going on and how many people are listening and how many people appreciate and all that. So that's why it's very important to let your, your create the creators of your favorite things know that you're listening and that you're there and you're reading and all that. So if you can take the time to do that, I'd appreciate it. And that was a tangent that I wasn't supposed to go on. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode now, guys. So um, I'm just going to say thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, so until next time for Republic City Report, I'm Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you. And I will see you next time. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.